0: is Conversations That Matter, a monthly online program from the McKinney Center, a community arts center with the town of Jonesboro in Jonesboro, Tennessee, and we are partially sponsored by the Hope in Action Grant from the East Tennessee Foundation. The McKinney Center is in the Booker T. Washington School, which was the black school from 1940 until desegregation. We record in the Gillespie building in Jonesboro, which is named for Elmer Gillespie, an alumnus of Booker T. Washington School, who helped start the food pantry in Jonesboro. This program is to help us learn about people in our community and hopefully humanize one another. My name is Skye McFarland. I identify as she, her, hers, or my preferred pronouns are she, her, hers, and I identify as white. Um, And... Our other guests can introduce themselves.
1: Hi, I'm Brittany Butler. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I identify as an African American.
2: And I'm Michelle Treese. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm African American as well.
0: I and thought i you were cute.
2: And cute. <laughs> I'm still cute. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. So this episode, we have two guests. One of which is at the time one of our moderators, Caitlin Yarborough. We talked a little bit about her last time because she was the one asking the questions. But I just wanted to let you know that she is the owner um, of the historic Eureka Inn in downtown Jonesboro. Um, And they both introduced themselves, but I thought that context was especially good for Caitlin because she is so involved in this in the beginning. She was one of the ones that helped us create our baseline questions. So any thoughts on this one that we're about to hear?
2: This one is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. So full disclosure, Caitlin is one of my former high school students. So I'm very proud of her. And there's so much, you can tell they're real good friends and there's so much laughter, in the midst of a pretty serious conversation. Uh, so, so this, like I said, has to be one of my favorite ones. They talk about childhood, they talk about their adulthood, and uh, most of the conversations about being biracial. So uh, it's, it's one of my favorites.
1: Agreed. Yeah, I really like this one as well, because see, hearing the perspective from Brianna, who is born and raised in Johnson City, and then um, Kat mentions that she, I think, ninth grade moved to Johnson City. And so just hearing their experiences from such a young age was really interesting. And I identified with them a little bit um, for this one, too, because my children are biracial. And you'll hear one of the great um, questions that Michelle asks is, what is something that biracial children growing up now in Washington County need to know? Um, and hearing their answers to that was really, really interesting and powerful.
0: It's a good Absolutely. Show. Go yeah. ahead. Sorry. No, I think
2: it's a good show. It's going to be great. Uh, you folks will like.
1: Yeah,
0: I loved, like I mentioned in our last episode, thinking about Caitlin, who's a friend of mine, her mindset and goals at the time versus now Um, because I know she mentions that she's you ask them where they're going to be in the future and she says she's going to be a senator and I bet if you asked her that now that her answer would be different. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Yeah so it just you know um, it's fun to look back and see like how we've changed or grown over the time um, and where your passions were yeah
1: so yeah and they have that interesting connection also with both being small business owners and so you have minority female business owners which is not all that common in northeast Tennessee I would assume right you're right
0: so two um technology apologies there's a bird that gets really loud at the end I don't even know what's up with that. Probably a bird lives in the ceiling down at the Gillespie building <laughs> is my guess. And then it this one also cut off early. So I swear it gets better as time goes on. We're about to do two newer episodes and they are full. So I apologize for that. Our,
2: our conversations just grow and grow and the battery exactly. and the computer can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: It's worth when, it though.
0: Yes, you will enjoy. So we hope you enjoy listening to this one. Um, We are so glad that you're here with us this evening. I'm Sky McFarlane, and I work at the McKinney Center um, here in Jonesboro. This evening, we are actually not at the McKinney Center. We're using one of our kind of satellite buildings. We're using the Elmer H. Gillespie building this evening, which is where our studio is. If you know Jules Corrier, um, she teaches film classes in this room. Um, So we're excited to try this room out this evening. If you don't know who Elmer Gillespie is, um, he is actually an alumni of the Booker T. Washington School, which is what the McKinney Center used to be. Um, If anyone wants to know more about any of that information, please contact me during business hours and my email and I'll tell you all about it. Um, But Elmer Gillespie, worked with a lot of food pantry. He started um, the food pantry here in Jonesboro and that's the other part of this building. So um, we're happy to honor him with this building and we're excited to be um, using this space this evening. When I hop off of here, the person who's gonna be sitting at this computer is Michelle Treese and her and Caitlin Yarborough are the ones that are moderating this series. This is our second in the series. Um, We're so glad that you're here. So last time we met, Michelle Treese was actually in the conversation, and this evening, Caitlin Yarborough is in the conversation. So tonight, we'll be hearing from Caitlin Yarborough, excuse me, and Brianna Williamson. Um, And when I hop off of here, I'm going to let Michelle throw it over to them, and they they can tell you a little bit more about themselves.
2: Hey, folks. Welcome to Conversations That Matter. Um we've got two women here with us today, Brianna and it's Brianna funny. and Caitlin. I think am I not muted? I'm good. You're good. Okay. <laughs> Brianna and Caitlin. And so these folks actually know each other. So I think uh, what I want to do is start with how do you guys know each other? We when'd you move here? Ninth grade. Okay.
3: So we met in ninth grade at Science Hill. 18 years ago. Oh god. Oh, I know, right? I yeah. Oh. Lord. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, so that's how we met,
4: just at school. I can not even remember why. Uh, we were in the same English class. Okay. Allison Seeley's English class. <laughs> <Am I? laughs>
2: that's great. That's great. So, Brianna, tell us about yourself.
3: I am from Johnson City. I am born and raised here. I went to Science Hill. I went to ETSU for four years. I cheered at Science Hill, and I cheered at ETSU for a year. Um, then in 2010, I moved to Rhode Island, and pursued a career in hairdressing. And then I lived there for four years. I met my husband there and then I moved to Nashville for two years before moving back here in 2000. And I think August,
2: 2016. Okay. I and mean, then Kate, let's tell a little bit about yourself. I think we know you, but give us something we don't know.
4: Oh, uh, <laughs> um, Well, I'm Caitlin Yarbrough. I am the owner and innkeeper at the historic Eureka Inn. I live to serve. At least it feels that way to me. I cannot say no to a volunteer opportunity. Um, I'm the chairwoman of New Generation Freedom Fighters. I Went to Science Hill. I was born in High Point, North Carolina. Grew up in Savannah, Georgia. Moved here. I actually missed the first day of ninth grade at a new school, <laughs> moving here, of course. That's my <laughs> line. Um, but uh, went to Science Hill, actually with my husband, who is two years older than me, but we didn't know each other at the time. Thankfully, <laughs> and um, yeah, I went to UTC for a half. Of-
0: Oh yeah. A we, semester.
4: Went, we went there together. Yeah. You left after one semester, one semester. Um, but I went to UTC. I was going for pre-dental chemistry. I was going for physical therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do that. Nope. Um, I got my first job. I have two younger brothers. So I, my nickname was Miriam growing up. And so I've always taken care of them. Wasn't allowed to have a job, got a job at the mushroom in Chattanooga, stopped going to class. I fell in love with the hospitality industry climbed the ladder rapidly, and then got snatched back home by my mom because it wasn't going to class, Uh, and then jumped into the hospitality industry here in the Tri-Cities and have been, I think I was one of the youngest general managers at 23 um, of the battery. I was a front-of-house manager at Lakeview, marker two, marina and grill, um, corporate front-of-house trainer for Texas Red House, all those things, and now I am in a realm of hospitality I enjoy. It's not babysitting drunk people anymore. Oh, I'm now that. taking care of people and being an ambassador for Jonesboro. <laughs> Fabulous. Some you <laughs> don't know. That's a lot. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> so one thing that I, I understand between the
2: two of you is that both of you own small businesses. Or mm-hmm. I should say small and medium-sized businesses. Oh, it's small. Days. small. It's these small days, businesses. 2020 okay.
4: made it small again. <laughs> there yes. we
2: go. Rihanna, tell us a little bit about your, your business. Um, I own a hair salon.
3: I so I went to hairdressing school in Rhode Island, and then my first job was actually in Boston, a uh, hairdressing school. And I went into—I was there for a little while. Then I went into a salon in Providence because the commute from Boston to Providence isn't ideal. And then um, I worked in pretty high-end salons. And then I moved, when we moved back. We went to Nashville. I worked in a, another high-end salon. And then when we moved back here. I worked in this salon here for a little while, and then. Um, if you knew me, it wouldn't be surprising that I work for myself, but I just, I had kids and I think I have a skill level that is good enough to work for myself. And I wanted the freedom to make my own schedule. And so that's how I got to owning my own salon.
2: And what is your salon?
3: It's just Brianna Williamson here. Okay. It's just me by myself. Where's that located? We actually bought a house here that had a separate building. And so we made that into my salon. Great.
2: Um, Kaylin, we know where you are. Mm-hmm. You so, me. so both of you are Black women, small business owners in Washington County. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. How was that? Um,
3: to be honest, I think a reason I left the salon I was at It wasn't the reason, but it was beginning to be the undercurrent of why I left. It was because, honestly, because they were Trump supporters,
4: and it was very uncomfortable. I remember the text when you left. Mm -hmm.
2: Do we want to know that text? No, (laughs) (laughs) we're not.
4: (laughs) We're not going to have have receipts and invoices for you this evening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, how about for you, Kayla? I. Like uh, so, I was the general manager at the battery in Johnson City that was owned by three white men. Um, one of two of whom are still good friends today, and one you can ask me off camera, and I'll let you know. But um, it was very difficult to be a young woman in general, regardless of race, um, trying to run a business with three males that had different ideas for what that business would be for them, playground, whatever. Um, so someone put their one of the owners ended up putting their hands on me after I'd worked about a twenty hour day on a New Year's Eve evening. It was a restaurant and nightclub. And so I was there literally decorating and then managing and then bartending and doing and managing and doing all these things. Um and so I ended up leaving and uh, my brothers, my younger brothers worked for me. I called my mom in the middle of the night and was just like, we are all out. <laughs> we have left the building. Okay. Um, yeah. And so uh, Blake and I traveled for a while and we're not retired. <laughs> we had a little, little bit of money and traveled, had fun and realized we needed to get jobs. Um, so he actually started working for the, the past innkeeper at the inn. And I was the sponsorship and advertisement coordinator at the JRT. It was based on commission. Um, and then the past innkeeper started kind of a rumor that things were going to close. And so they started, the owners, powers that be, started looking for new management, new innkeepers, and word got around town of my hospitality experience. And then my husband, Blake, actually worked at the Carnegie um, at their front desk for a quite a while and uh, really enjoyed it. He actually should have gone to Johnson and Wales. He had that opportunity. But back when he graduated in 2004, male chefs weren't that popular. <laughs> he wanted to go to UT and party with his friends. So now I like to joke he's come full circle and so he's doing food. Um, but we were hired and Dr. Kennedy, here in, or from Jonesboro, you know, Dr. Kennedy he is a wonderful man. And has given us an amazing opportunity, and we let them know up front that we've never done anything like this before, that we like to think outside of the box, and so we brought what we had to the table, and it's been interesting working and living in the same place, one which <laughs> is actually quite convenient. Yeah. But being in Washington County and getting honked at by people with rebel flags flying off the back of their trucks while I'm trying to water plants. Um, mm-hmm. Being involved in the movement, the Black Lives Matter movement here uh, locally has been scary at times. And so um, I took my my business that, you know, anything related to my business, where I live, where I work, off of my Facebook. Still, if you go and check, it doesn't say that I live and work at the historic Eureka Inn for safety purposes. Mm-hmm. So being here in this area is not the absolute ideal thing. but. I'm not leaving.
2: <laughs> What's some of the challenges being a, a small business owner? <clears throat> what are some of the challenges you see just to go into every day or to, to maintain your business?
3: Um, for me, it would be in a salon. There is someone that uh, speaks to your clients for you. Um, you own your own business. You are all of it. So I think that that for me was, is the hardest part. And I also have two kids. So just managing all of that is harder now than I think it would have been. But, um, that's probably the hardest part for me is really running every aspect of it and being on top of that and not forgetting things and letting things slip through the cracks.
2: And how long have you had your business, Brianna?
4: Almost three years. Retweet. The exact same thing. We do all of our marketing. Blake does the, Blake and I do the cooking. He's the mastermind of the cooking. Um, I handle the finances, all the business aspects, everything, phone calls, emails. I'm managing like six different social media accounts at a time. So if you're ever trying to get in touch with me and it takes a minute, it's going to take a minute (laughs) for me to even sift through to find stuff. But definitely juggling everything is difficult. Yeah.
2: I know in this area, I don't think there are lots of, um, uh, small businesses owned by people of color. With that being said, did you have role models? Uh, was there someone? Who can I talk to that looks like me? Did that cross your mind? Did you need that? No. no. You're gonna do it. Just gotta get done. Yes. Yeah. Um, growing up as a kid, did you frequent a lot of businesses that were owned by black people or people of color?
4: No. Well, you were here, right? I was here. She was Mm -hmm. in, I grew up in Savannah. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad is black. My mom is white. Um, So my dad's side of the family weren't the nicest about us being biracial. I've been told a couple times to go back to my white mom um things like that so that's the interesting part
3: about being biracial is it comes from both ends
4: yeah we're catching it from every angle <laughs> and trying to keep our head up um but it being in Savannah, I, I still caught it from black and white people just hatred or malice whatever um but my mom did take me talking about hair mm-hmm. uh she took me to a black salon and dropped me off and didn't explain anything about my hair. I didn't know anything about my hair. And yeah. they fried my hair off. <laughs> they put that. That real. Uh, the cast iron thing. Uh-huh. They went to lay something down. And it came off. <laughs> and I just That's started crying in the chair. <laughs> that was the. First and the last time I went to a black salon. Yeah. Um, it's interesting.
3: Because like you said. like Being biracial. Um, same of thing here happened to my mom. My mom is white. My biological dad is black, but I was raised by my dad who is also white. Um, but my mom took me to the black salon here and I mean, my hair was a mess, I assume. And they said, this is why white women shouldn't have black babies.
2: Wow. Yeah.
3: But I think with me, cause I've had people ask me like, because we're biracial, like it comes from both ends. But I think for me, I think that it took a while because, like, obviously we're more, like, we're big in the Black Lives Matter movement and things like that. I think that those things happen because of Black people feeling less than, in a way, if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what I
3: mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of people don't, like, when people are like, why are you, aren't you as upset as the racist things that happen to you from white people that happen to you from Black people? And I was like, honestly, a lot of times the racist things that Black people said to me weren't because I was Black if that
2: makes sense. It's because I was privileged. Mm. And I was. I think the being biracial is a topic that a lot of people, black or white, probably have a hard time grasping. So if you could tell black and white people, I need you to know this about me as a biracial woman, what would you say?
4: That's a whole other episode. <laughs> that, that is a whole, a, whole other, That's episode. a moment. Um, I would say, and I've felt this way since a very young age, because I remember being standardized testing.
3: It's oh, yeah. the worst. Or the
4: other? The fill in the bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, I filled in black and white on a standardized test in, I think, first grade. Interesting. I filled, filled in, in black. You filled in just black. Mm-hmm. The... Uh, whatever you call the person that comes through to make sure you're not cheating. Uh, proctor. proctor. The proctor came mm-hmm. by and let me know that I could only fill in one bubble. And she asked me, you know, you filled in black and white. What is your dad's race? And I was like, well, my dad's black. And so she erased the white. And I was like, well, what about my mom? And I felt like I was leaving my mom behind by saying, you know, that I'm just black. I was like, but I'm just as much coming from my mom you know that sort of struggle um but you know growing up you're told to be yourself be true to yourself all this stuff so I'm just like unapologetically myself and so if I say that I'm a black woman and then you hear me say I'm a biracial woman I'm saying I'm biracial because you need clarification because it shouldn't matter it's for other people yeah, it's for other people. I know who I am. Mm-hmm. I don't need to have. Yeah. A, what am I? Using? You know, check my stamp or check my tag. Um, but it's as I got older, though I started right. other. Yeah, I started checking other, and then if they had a line, I would write Nanya for Nanya business. <laughs> I didn't write that. <laughs> I <laughs> was doing that. <laughs> I, did check I was that child. I did check other when I got
2: older. Yeah, but I mean older, like not like like high school, college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So staying with that same line, when you mentioned the school, I think about biracial kids Mm -hmm. in our schools. Mm -hmm. What could you say to those kids? Because, again, I think that is a, a population that if you are not biracial, you will never truly understand that walk. So what would you say to these children who are biracial living in Washington County in 2020? Don't let
3: someone bully you. I mean, that happened to me. It's interesting because when you're young, don't I don't know being young and being raised here, and my parents were both white. I don't think I grasped what racism really was until it until I knew, which that also occurred. But there were mild things that happened, especially in school. I mean, I got um, suspended from the cheerleading squad in the ninth grade. I think it was ninth grade. Yeah, Um, and it was literally for talking in class. And also not like t- it was in chorus class, and not like talking in class while we were singing, talking in class while we were doing our paperwork that everybody like grouped off into pairs and did the paperwork with their friends. And it's then I never correlated it to race. I mean, my mom mentioned something uh, eventually. but when it first happened, I never correlated it to race. I just thought that i don't I don't even know what I thought. And then, as I got older, well, really, honestly, like, when all the stuff erupted this year, is that I was like, maybe it was because I was black. You know what I mean? Because, like, what else was it? Back then, we said it was because I was a cheerleader. But it was interesting because I had a best friend who was white that kind of, like, got drugged with me. But I don't know. I spoke up for myself. And honestly, like, I got suspended for a game. Then we got in trouble again a second time, and I kept my mouth shut, and we got in trouble again, and I quit, and then you didn't smile anyway. No, you didn't. <laughs> she wouldn't I smile. I didn't smile at you either. Um, I think that, but I think doing that and then growing up and knowing I'd done that for myself was
4: huge. Well, remember, we used to get in trouble in Miss Taylor's English class all the time. And I, mean, she I always, I always she moved us all over the classroom and we would have And to be honest,
3: I did talk in my class, but I didn't talk any more than anyone else, if that makes You sense. still paid attention. I wasn't disruptive, I do not think. I think that I was do I mean, and then it's funny because that teacher was white and then it happened to me again in eighth grade. Or in I think it was it happened to me before we got to the Twelve Campus. And that teacher was black. And she took me outside. It was like, You're a cheerleader, so it was it was eighth grade, and then the course was ninth grade this was eighth grade. She was like, you're a cheerleader and you're supposed to be a role model. And I mean, at how old were you in eighth grade? Fourteen? I had the wherewithal to be like, I'm not anyone's role model. Like, I'm a child. But she said, my black daughters are watching you. And now I get what she meant, but Mm -hmm. that's not something you put on a Mm 13-year-old kid. Who's talking in class that the white boys don't get in trouble?
4: Can I answer that one? Yes. (laughs) I would say the same thing. Of don't let yourself be bullied, but also don't feel pressure to hang out with a certain certain race because someone says so. So well, we, and, and people will say stuff to you. Yeah, when I'm I joking. came to Science Hill, ninth grade, first of all, I was expecting to go to a whole almost said it a whole high school of ninth grade through 12th grade. That's how it was in Georgia. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And I got up here and was like, Lord, I'm going to start a new high school missing the first day of school. It was eight, nine campus. So it was just like middle school again, one more round. Um, but the lunchroom was segregated. I bet, I, would, I bet it still is. I would, it it would might be. it still is. Um, but I remember coming through the line and luckily my parents reached out ahead of time and got me connected with the soccer team. Send a video, stuff like that. So I was going to soccer practice my first day of school, met some seniors on the soccer team that came and found me after I met with the counselor, figured out my schedule. They showed me around the school. And um, so I went, I was going to sit with my soccer team gals because they were literally the only people I knew. And I remember being stopped. It was Quentin, mm-hmm. little Quentin, What? Uh, boy came up to me after I got my lunch and was just like why are you going to sit with those white people and I was like uh first of all I'm biracial second they're the soccer team and I'm on the soccer team and he was like oh I'm so sorry I didn't realize that you were both Mm -hmm. and then he went on about his business and he was cool in any other exchange but I was just like I was segregated the whole time I did not realize that I was not allowed to go and sit with the, the white people or that I needed to go and sit with the black people. And I, the day we moved here, my dad got out of the U-Haul and looked at the realtor because he and my mom came separately and found the house and everything. But he got here, got out of the U-Haul and my dad's a jokester. And he was just like, where are all the black people at? And she just kind of nervously laughed. <laughs> <laughs> and he was serious like, but really where are all the black people? Yeah. And it was, it's been that way for a minute until recently.
3: I mean, I think it's always been segregated here. I think it's politely segregated, but it's segregated all Mm the same. I think that our city is, I think that Science Hill's lunchroom is an example of Johnson City. I don't know about Jonesboro, but I think that that is very much still
2: a huge issue here. I have to say, as a retired teacher, I know exactly what you're talking about. I was at Science Hall High School. I saw that, the hallways, I saw the cafeteria. and and the gym and I remember you can tell me both of you what did they call the area where the black students sat? do you remember that no no the black hole do you remember people oh my gosh I remember hearing that that. yeah that was what it was called I again I'm not there anymore I'm sure there's still some of that but um interesting it's very very interesting conversation
3: but I think like with us why we stepped up now because I think we can identify that we were, it was a privilege that your parents did that for you. with soccer game. You know what I
4: mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to advocate more now because I think back then we didn't. We didn't yeah. know. We were kids though. Now my dad tried to make it a requirement <laughs> that I had like four or five black girlfriends and I was like, but honestly,
3: I they think we're not, I understand where he
4: came oh, from. I, I get it now. Okay. I totally do. And so, Aunt Eula McKinney. Is she on? Is she on here? Is she she here? Just <laughs> on <moment>. the key. <laughs>
2: uh, I'm just gonna read some of the chat, just because you just mentioned that. She oh, says, oh, yes. I don't uh let me find it. Crying. I know, right? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of Science Hill High School 06, Kristen Balal. a year. That's my mom. Joshua, Josh Smith, everyone, facts. That's my brother. A very talented young lady. Uh, Josh again, Facts, Facts. Keeps <laughs> repeating. Evan Attila loves. It, speak on it, ladies. Oh, um, let's see. Britt.
4: Britt Butler. Okay. There's a different standard. Mm hmm. And then. She's the um, reason I joined the Junior League. She was the the president of the Junior League when I went okay. to the meet and greet thing.
2: And then let's see. She yes. made another comment. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Tila. So, so, folks, are listening.
4: Good. Um, okay. Well, Tila was one of my very good close friends. And we did slumber parties. Miranda Cranbill Porterfield lived up the street. And I always felt like my dad was being kinda unfair. Like you have to have life. and I was like, Who's going out and seeking out specific friends? I just vibed with the people I vibed with. Why and you did on it. a soccer team when I was a cheerleader. And that's kind of where you and, end up. You end and up I was friends there. with yeah, everyone though. So I was a I was a click jumper, not a click jumper, but I had friends in every little aspect and every nook and cranny. And I was on scholar Fole and chemistry club and Mm -hmm. Lord and played sports. And so I was like everywhere and had people I could call on if I needed to, I guess. And even, you know, and then friends with you guys, which y'all were like the, not the mean girls. Don't even. Uh, you were not But what did I? I drew a cartoon. It was the flock. And I labeled y'all as some sheep. The flock's still together, though. The flock is still flying, Yeah, The flock sure is, is still together. <laughs> but I did. I was very, um, I thought, honest with what it was. Yeah, I think with me, I wasn't the academic uh, performer
3: that Caitlin was. So with me, I was in a lot of classes with a lot of black kids as Science so that helped with me, I think, like, because my family was white. So I had, like, no exposure to the black community. And so I think being in classes with, I mean, in eighth grade, it was almost all black girls. And so I think that that helped more than I knew it was helping, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And you, to, for who I, who I am as an adult
2: now. If you could give advice to and I'm, to parents... Of biracial children.
3: Fitting into or white parents and adult black kids. Oh, that did it too. Exactly. Exactly. You have to seek it out. And I think what's sad here is that you still have
4: to seek it out. Mm-hmm. Seek out fellowship, culture, mm-hmm. explanations of things. In the black community here. Yeah.
3: It's true. I mean, I'll have to seek it out. Luckily, I have a very, I mean, the flock that she's referring to. mm -hmm. um, We're very diverse. My husband is white. My best friend's husband is Mexican. My other best friend's husband is black. I have a best friend who predominantly dates black men. And I have another best friend that's open to whomever. So I think that my group of friends is really convenient. But I think, like, for me, I'm trying to find an avenue for my little girl To be around more black children. And so it's crazy that I still have to try to find that avenue in Jackson City. If that makes
4: sense. And I think that goes back to being segregated. And any resources I come across. I bought books for your children. Mm -hmm. They couldn't even read. I went to Umoja Festival.
3: And it's still a point you have to make
4: here. Yeah. Because there isn't like a place you can go
3: and see everyone together. In my opinion. It's true. I
4: was at the festival. I was visiting you Sky. besides yeah. the festival, like it, it, even then, and again, it's mid again yeah still, like people don't just... show up for the festival so it's crickets, yeah, and it's not like blue plum where the world shows up and it's a good time. I think that that's
3: like the there is, that is the bridge that needs to be built to bridge the
2: gap mm-hmm. here, yeah uh, a question uh, is on here that says, has either of you experience racism from your parents. And I think you touched on that a little bit earlier.
3: Before Donald Trump, no. After, yes.
2: Can you elaborate? <laughs> I might get murdered for it, but I know my mom's watching. I'm maybe, trying to... maybe don't get yourself in trouble. I like to say, but good, just, trouble. It, uh,
3: good trouble. I think that it, it's. I now really know what white privilege is. But
4: that's true.
3: And, like, that white people need to do a lot of, not even white people, Oh, everyone, even black people,
4: especially biracial people, have to do a lot of unlearning. I think, so my mom and dad got divorced in my freshman year of college. Uh, and so I have two younger brothers. So she, my mom is a 5'2 white lady, married a 6'4 black man, had three beautiful biracial children. Um, and now she lives in Winston Salem, and we went on a trip to Mexico, uh, just my mom and I, with a group of her friends. And someone used the term CPT for my mom, and I didn't even know what that meant. And asked, "Colored People's Time," meaning she was late. Black people are late all the time, and I and so I asked him. He told me what it meant, and he I was like, "Was he white?" That's white. And I was like, that's racist. I wouldn't be using that term. Mm-hmm. You know, we were hanging out by the pool in Mexico. Last thing I expected to hear from anybody. Um, and so my mom wasn't there at all. But he let me know that she used that term all the time. Blah, blah, blah. Mom, oh, I don't know if you did. It was her, her boss's husband, technically friend. Okay. And boss. Um, but we got into it. And we're oh, okay. not going to come back to Jonesboro to visit and I'm okay with that, but I stood my ground and, you know, mom, I don't want you to forget that you have three biracial children that you are representing at all times. So if you're letting things slide with your white friends, they think it's gonna slide with us if they get around us and it's not, the buck stops. I know with Josh and DJ, we aren't playing, <laughs> but that would be the only instance, um, cause my mom's definitely experienced some crazy stuff. Growing up in Georgia, she and my dad um, being with a black, a black man with a white woman being pulled over by white state troopers in Pooler, Georgia, him being arrested, had to call the NAACP. You know, they were mad because he was in the car with a white woman and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I know she's been through it all, but the passiveness of things is what's, that's the problem. That's what's going to stop.
2: Wow. Uh, I don't want to miss this. Someone from iPhone Myra says, am proud of my daughter. <laughs> I just want to put that out there.
4: Uh, let's see. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've called it the wrath of Myra before. <laughs> but, uh.
2: So other comments right quick. The research has proven the need for a diverse, inclusive, equitable education system. Uh, this issue is present across the country. I'm very proud of both ladies to stand up. Uh, your brother says the honors AP community at Science Hill High School is definitely racially
4: stratified, and that's something that he's brilliant needs he to do. Grad, on. Oh. mom had to fight tooth and nail. She was all up in that Science Hill principal's office. Yeah. So we're going to shift gears a little
2: bit. You know, this summer was a, a big, big summer for Black Lives Matter. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Where do you
4: think we're heading and changes that you would like to see? Well, one, I just hate that it's coming out of the loss of people's lives. Yeah. That it was literally a snuff film that is making people wake up. Like the, that is what, that's how far it, it had has to go, go for people, for white people to be like... For white people to wake up. Yeah, and then they're still not Well, they're not doing. They're not going to do that hard work. Well, but they need to because we're not the ones that are. But it will fall on the black community to do it, right? Um, About time. Sad that it's having to be. You know, so much death. Um, The portrayal, especially here in Jonesboro, I've spoken on this at the BMA meeting. um, Then I know everybody knows what I've been up to. I'm not embarrassed by it at all, but I let him know that I am not a looter, an arsonist, or a rioter, Um, so throwing everybody, painting everyone with that broad brush, and throwing us all in the same category is extremely irresponsible, Um, and for those that are out in larger cities, or inciting things in smaller cities, you know, shame on you, one, because you're detracting from the message, and two, these people are hurt and painful and there's ha- millions unemployed. And so these people that are looting, I'm not saying that it's an okay thing, but if you got to put food on the table, you aren't going to be seeing these looters walking around with these Gucci bags. They're selling them for money. Cool. And you should
3: also, it's more shameful that we live in a country, but that's what it takes. Yes. And that's what people should be ashamed of. But there is no
4: help. There is no system set up. For anybody that is that is dealing well, with and that's what's what makes change. On. And that's as from the that's beginning. not a problem with black people. That's a problem with America. That's a problem with the system. Mm-hmm. It needs to
3: be uprooted and reestablished correctly. And that starts with putting black people in the room.
2: Give me uh, um, two people. And with there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Give me two very uh, uh, or as specific as you can things that people in this community can do. Either black folks, white folks, both folks, virus, whoever. But give me two very specific things that if at the end of this conversation, they can say, you know what, I'm gonna go out and do exactly what they said to, to make that change that we need in this community. Read a book.
4: Read a book. Not a book. Read, read white fragility, oh. read you know more how movies. to be Anti-Racist by Abram Max Kendi. People um, don't know that they're racist
3: is the problem. True. And that's not something anyone wants to say or admit about themselves, but until you can say and admit it about yourself, you've done nothing.
4: True.
2: Very good. Very good. And yes. a lot
3: of people are racist. And like you don't have to be a bigot, but there are, like, unlearning is things that you don't, like, you clutch your purse when a black man walks in the room. You think of the fact that a black man walks into the room. And black women, but predominantly black men. Like, that you think something. You don't
4: think that something when a white person does. And I see a black person walking in the room and I'm just like, hey. So glad you're here. Yeah, like people don't
3: know that it's it's ingrained, especially around here. Mm-hmm. It's deep inside of you. So
4: until you start to dig that up, you are not doing anything. So acknowledge and read a book.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: I would say call your friends out when they do stuff yes do that too. do not let don't put your tail between your legs don't put your tail between your legs this is not the time for that we're in the middle of a global pandemic and a huge and we're feeling that for most of our lives we are and i'm like we're just coming from two people who had to wake up themselves we had to work on ourselves mm-hmm. because we because and because i think it's because we were Catching it from both sides so harshly, I didn't feel that I. And because belonged. we haven't been as marginalized or as oppressed. No,
3: either. it's all been slight and very subtle. So it was easy for us to take the easier route, and then we decided to stop taking that route.
4: Yeah, I'm nobody's little puppet anymore. And I've always been very—I love rules. I like structure. I know. Yeah, I know. You, but I, but you know, I burn the building down. Yeah, you would, and I'd be the one like, you yeah, know. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I would say call people out and uh, get involved. Do black-white dialogue. Um, reach out to the New Generation Freedom Fighters. we got a bunch of committees. Uh, email uh, your superintendent of your schools. Email your schools. If you hear of something horrible, blast it mm-hmm. because people don't know stuff's going on because they try to sweep that Most people don't know the lunchroom at science till it's segregated. Yeah. Shine a spotlight on it and fix it. Instead of just being like, oh, that's horrible, flip the page. It's worse. No. Nobody even
3: says it's horrible. It's the norm.
4: It is what it is.
3: Not anymore. Try I, don't don't have I don't want that to one to my children. Because right. I
4: chose to move back here, which was hard, honestly. Well, and what's crazy is there are lots of biracial children and lots of interracial relationships in the Tri-Cities. Mm-hmm. And it's still super racist. Yes, that's what's wild. But it's polite racist, which is worse. I'd rather just... Polite. nice a word.
3: That's true. Under... What's it, what's it word? Faux.
4: A lot brilly, of colorblindness. Faux.
3: Um, a lot of colorblindness.
4: Fake. Yeah. Color blindness. That's another thing. Don't say that you don't see color.
1: You oh need to God. see color
4: and appreciate it and accept it for what it is. For sure, you said two things. Just let us <laughs> but let keep going because I think what you just said;
2: those are things that I think people who have not acknowledged their racism yet mm. think are okay to say. Uh-huh. So, share with us some of those things that you've experienced or you know happens in in, in public. Things that people say, things that people do that they think so, is okay, but well, deep it's also down, a lie. Like we people have told me, like. I never thought of you as black.
3: That's not true. That is, <laughs> you certainly have, and you've said things before that would make it that way.
4: Yeah. Uh, microaggressions. I, it happened today and it's been in the back of my mind nonstop. And I know that this person did not mean it this way whatsoever because they're a very good person and a hardcore
0: But ally. that's when it's like even more shocking. Well, it's like even they're saying, saying something like, <laughs> "Yeah, you're so eloquent. Yeah. You're so, you're, well so you're, so was, you're so
4: pretty My whole life it was, you're so pretty. What are you? Your skin. And I was just... like,
3: I'm black. And people would be like, shook.
4: Can't I was, wait like, to see your children. Like, basically,
3: cause I'm, because I'm black and white, I shouldn't be pretty.
4: Yeah, they're shocked when they find out that, that we're, we're black. black. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. Like Our, my whole life here. What's that mean? Well, you must have some Native American. Which I do. Indian. But that does happen a lot, too. Yeah. We, there's lots. A lot lots of, of slights that you don't realize. So telling somebody that they're don't
3: eloquent, ask people
4: what they are, that is so rude. Yeah. Yeah. And just say you did a great job. That was awesome. Don't tell me that I speak well because my parents are well now they're both at well were at one Well them saying you speak well is
3: them saying that
2: because you're that a black person I assumed
3: you would be ghetto.
4: Yeah,
2: that I've and all this. Yeah. yeah. I had someone tell me that within the last three years. Yeah. I, and We're it was just, well-spoken, yeah. What do you expect that I was going to be? And I, 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 I did not confront them because it was in public, but I should have. Well, we
3: have, to be, about about doing that. We yes. have to be better about doing
2: yes. that. What do you mean by that?
3: And of course, I'm thinking what you, which I'm having to get, get a lot better asked, I would say. Of calling things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't good about that for most of my life. And now I think I'm trying to take the hit, lose the friend, mm-hmm. get half the
4: fight. Well, I'm trying not to remove people. I'm trying to educate people. But there does come a point where I'm just like, why am I putting myself through this toxic this toxicity I'm like wading through it just trying to like save people's souls it's what it feels like trying to help you and you want to drag me Mm
2: -hmm. but leading to the next question have you folks
4: lost friends Mm -hmm.
2: based on
4: and they don't even know it yet mine know it good for you (laughs) mine don't yeah I'm waiting to the ones that they know. I okay. want to have a tasty moment where I can just go and not, you know, in public when we can see people again <laughs> in person. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not going through all that. I'm just silencing them. I'm not unfriending them unless they've done something unforgivable. But I'm not gonna. You don't get to get acknowledged. You don't get to be acknowledged by me.
1: I don't need to tokenize
4: me anymore at oh, I don't have, have to. It's I didn't use Facebook, Facebook when in 2016, I deleted it. So. Yeah, you did, and I had to come by and tell you all the news. That was mm-hmm. annoying. I was like, well, you need to watch the news. Crazy things are happening. <laughs> you have to know these things in case you need to pack up and run. <laughs> I still
2: need to pack up and run. <laughs> well, somebody on here, Eli Williamson, says, says I'm proud of my wife. Heart. Oh. <laughs> My husband's playing video games. 100%, <laughs> 100%. I bet he's playing video games. Okay. is like, not in there. <laughs> <laughs> that's not right. Someone it, else says, uh, Brent says, and
4: don't give up when efforts, uh, when your efforts are shot down. Oh, no. I just go to the next ear that's open.
2: Another question from uh, someone, Tina McDaniel says, what gives you hope with the Black Lives movement in our community? And what needs to happen to um see it needs to
4: keep progressing okay for sure it can't just be a moment oh yeah it's not over just Mm because we're not out protesting doesn't mean that it's over it means that we're considerate of our community's health and our lives also like there really just has to be like more black people in the room like and even if it is
3: something you literally have to put. Down in writing or make a space for and not just the person that's over diversity, it has to be a person that
4: makes decisions. Somebody higher up, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, you can't just make a diversity and inclusion and equity thing Group. and be like, Oh, we checked that box, no, because no. that is segregating in itself. When we were starting, like when you're planning things for downtown, there needs to be black people, not a black person yeah not a tokenized just one to check a box when we were that it also feels uncomfortable when asked certain questions what do you mean if
3: you're the only black person in the room oh yeah yes that
4: happens Mm -hmm. a lot to you yeah yeah um when we were starting ngff and i was you know encouraging that we needed to have a public election for board members and i put out the nominees which anybody could. Say that they wanted to express interest in being a board member. um, It was diverse Mm -hmm. in the LGBTQ plus realm, as well as in the race realm. And I had people message me saying, how dare you put white people on there? This should be all black people. And I don't see any representation of LGBTQ, of the queer community. And I had to take a day because I was so mad because one, the reason that it's so large today, the movement, is because white people that have a backbone spoke up. are mm-hmm. speaking up and are and are using their privilege. They're giving us the card and letting us swipe it. They've given us a spree with their privilege card. They're doing these, I don't like the white barrier thing that they're doing, but I mean in big cities, people That's are doing right. that. Where the white people get in the front with shields and stuff to like protect oh. the black people. Oh, okay when the police are doing their thing. Um, The mom and dad shield, I think they call. I was thinking that was cool. Well, they've got all kinds of different shields now, but you know, shame on you. It should be diverse because honestly, when it is nothing but black people, it's easier for people to cast it to the side. Mm -hmm. People will be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's the black thing, got it. They're here representing whatever. Mm -hmm. And then as far as the representation of the queer community, I'm not about outing my friends if they aren't comfortable being out and about and what they are and who they love or don't choose to love, that's their business. And for you to expect everybody to have some sort of label, that's what's wrong. It's like, stop putting people in a box and mind your business. If we want to step up and serve and not get paid anything and be out here putting our reputations and lives and voices on the line, then shut your mouth or step up or get out of the way.
2: If you could wave a magic wand and change uh, Washington County, Johnson City community large, what would you change? If, if you could wake up tomorrow and it's a whole different looking place, what would it be? How would you make that? Look? The
4: good old boys would be out of power. And you know who I'm talking <laughs> about. There's a lot of them. I'm just sick of it. It stops the growth of a lot of things. It's not just for black people. It does that also with that wave of the wand people would take local smaller elections seriously because that is where nobody doesn't matter but those small decisions where do you you don't just jump to president there are small steps that are taken and so your board of mayor and aldermen your uh commissioners for johnson city we've got I'm proud I am the campaign manager for Alana Norwood, the only uh, black female candidate for Johnson City Commission. I'll give her a shout right now. Give her a vote. Uh there are lots of good people running, but you know, get out there and one register, make sure your friends are registered. It is so serious and so important because that's where it starts. Those papers come across their table and they can just fluff it off to the side if they so choose instead of taking things seriously. Mm -hmm. Some people don't even read their packets, their packets that they're given before their meetings. They just get in there and wing it because they really truly don't care. They just want the power. And have it. And have have it. And wield it freely. My grandfather was, look, nobody cares. Do you take your job seriously? Can you read your packet and be informed? With the wand, a lot of things, my wand would be busy. (laughs) <laughs> or that easy. those people would advocate for people that needed it. Yeah. They don't. Or, yeah, that would be that honestly would be a, a better care. wand movement is to make them care to advocate, mm-hmm. but they don't need to be in the power, to, still, too. Or advocate. they need to share it. They need to be aware of
3: sharing it and mm-hmm. want to share it. That's what I don't get.
0: Where
2: do you see yourself as a small business owner, um, Washington County, Johnson City in general? Uh, where do you see that in ten years? It'll be twenty, thirty. Let's figure out how old you'd be, and then go from there.
4: <laughs> 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 um, um, ten years from now, I'll be in Congress.
3: My and business my husband will be running the business. I um, my business will hopefully be very different. Hopefully, it'll be a nonprofit or. Um, um, I don't wanna, I don't like saying the word underprivileged or underserved Lower communities, yeah, but for black, especially little girls
4: in this area, to go and get their hair done for free and learn about their hair and what they need. It's everybody's hair is different. That's the thing. Is with black people, everybody's.
3: Oh, Lord, Black hair is so different across the board, and, and to be able to teach
2: them how to take care of it is—is is that something that you thought about? Mm-hmm you um, know. I mean my whole life has been revolved plan. around my hair. Mm-hmm. So
3: it's not a surprise I'm a hairdresser. But then as I got older I realized like I mean my hair was awful until honestly 25. And then it, and your it was so yeah, it affects your self-esteem and it affects your self-worth. And my hair wasn't as bad as it can be by any stretch of the imagination. And so I think if out the gate little girls in this area mm-hmm. were taught about their hair, understood their hair, and were proud of it.
4: Embraced it. Their lives would be a lot different. The crown act needs to be passed.
2: Um, Yes. My mom said that as a kid, your your hair is your crowning glory. Bless your heart, mom in heaven. Mm -hmm. And I I can relate to the whole going into the salon and the perms and all of that. My little crown was crumpled and wrinkled and not a happy looking crown. Mm -hmm. I started dreadlocks the day I got my letter for tenure as a teacher at age 34. And it's a shame that you had to feel you had to get tenure to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Security. So right. exactly. exactly. The exactly. fact that they would have told her she couldn't. Mm-hmm. Well, and it was the thing. Even my mom was like, so what are you doing with your hair? So that is a very interesting concept. We could have a whole conversation on hair alone. Mm-hmm. But I, I appreciate that because I do feel a lot of our young white girls just have hair issues. Oh, yeah. Not a lot. I think a lot more of our kids are bracing that hair and that freedom hair as I like to call it. But in order for your
3: hair to be taken care of, it isn't cheap.
2: Right. So it needs to be free or affordable. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful, wonderful plan. I think that's great. I think that's great. How about you? You're going to be in Congress,
4: you said. That's a plan. Yeah. I I'll do your hair. You do it already. She's the reason I have this ponytail right now because my hair was just busted back in the day. when We were in the back with our hair. Mine was breaking off from stress and just I'm on the go all the time. You see it in this tight ponytail, but you know headbands, hats. She's okay. slapping my hand nonstop. Like stop it! Come get your hair trimmed. Yeah, she she takes care of me. Um, but yeah, I was going to run for alderman here in Jonesboro and. Thank you, Terry Countermine. I don't have to now. Um, So, yeah, I'm setting my sights higher. Fabulous. I'm going to continue working diligently and hard with the new generation Freedom Fighters and getting that into nonprofit status. Um, Serving the Junior League, started a diversity and inclusion task force. Um, That needs some attention. it, I know you're watching. We're going to have to work hard for that because that's one of those box check things for mm-hmm. the junior league. So we need to make it count, our box. Make it count. Mm-hmm. Um, McKinney Center's Diversity and Inclusion and Equity Soon group. Um, we're working really hard. Um, just continuing the collaborative efforts. Uh, that is the goal right now, at least with the people I'm working with in the Black community is to bring us all together. And make sure that when we do throw a punch, not a fight punch, a theoretical punch, when we throw a punch, it's got everybody's effort behind it, not just these little one-offs mm-hmm. that just, you know, when well, well, we shot or shot, we tried. No, we all need to take a step together and then to make change, not go back. Yeah, exactly. there is no going backward. You all. They let us out. <laughs> we have freed ourselves, and so there is no putting us back in our in did, our place.
2: Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. You
4: know, and, and
2: I think um, I think they need to hear that. Mm-hmm. And I will sure share what I know. Um, so we're look, looking at about five more minutes, maybe four minutes left. If you could give me one comment to the black women in Washington County. If you could say, ladies, I need you too. What would you,
4: what? What? Uh, Let yourself be seen. Perfect. Walk with your head high. Be proud. Wear, wear whatever it is that I love to be colorful and wild. And I don't care. I, I feel the next break breaking, trying to look. And I don't lock eyes. I've stopped making eye contact with people. We're all a big wave. I'm so used to people not waving back. I'm done waving. If you know me, I will acknowledge you. You better call my name because I'm not looking for you. I'm looking straight ahead, eyes on the prize and walking with a purpose. And I'm feeling very free by that. It feels good. Great.
2: Let's see if we have any more last comments. Oh, let's see. Uh, Someone wants to help with Alana's (laughs) Please. <laughs> it is your brother is, is spelling. He must have like a uh, fancy hand. A C T S. Yes, it's Josh. Lisa.
4: He's in Baltimore Kansas. and he's a teacher Kansas. right now. I'm worried about Let's that. Okay,
2: um, Teresa Hammonds from the Kenny Center. Museums, historic sites, art galleries, and community centers play a huge role in education. They provide cultural experiences and programs. What topics would you like to see? such organizations cover, talk about, and do programming on?
4: Uh, the the ETSU Slocum Galleries, we're partnering with them, uh, they're doing the Black Diaspora, but the Black community, um, the African Black community before slavery, can we please talk about the kings and the queens and the the communities and the villages that were built and the Eve Jean and all of these wonderful, awesome things that come from black people that we don't know because they won't put it in the history books, put that in the museum, put that on a, an exhibit and travel that around because people need to learn about that because we're taught from the beginning that it's, we're an oppressed people and we weren't. And I think,
3: getting down in like the dirtiness of the slavery stuff like it's a very stop being so glossy over it yeah like let people know like when people ask me things about when people ask me stupid questions about black issues like black people can't even trace their lineage back Mm
4: -hmm. yeah Yeah, my maiden name is Smith yeah so it's like why and I don't want to do a DNA test (laughs) But it's like you just like people don't really get how bad it really was. I
2: don't think
3: around here. Yeah, I mean, some people don't even know that black people were stolen. I've had people say things like that to me. Yeah, like why would black people want to come here? If they didn't. You're
2: right. That's where I think my own little thing on that is that, uh, and and because we're not told that, we're not school. taught that, and I've learned so much within the last two years that. It brings me to tears. Oh yeah, to know that in my age I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. So those are those are all wonderful
4: points. The things. International Civil Rights Museum in Greensboro, North Carolina. Blake and I are going to visit my mom in Winston Salem um, this next week, and I we are so excited to go back. That's where I got my Maxine Waters shirt. It says, "Don't test the waters." I yeah. will <laughs> um, get me another shirt when I go. But um, they don't shy away from the truth. The truth. The truth. So we hope you enjoyed the podcast.
2: We want to thank our guests, Caitlin and Brianna, and please listen in for our next episode.
1: And you can download this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts.
0: Yeah, and this is coming to you from the McKinney Center. And the McKinney Center is an art center in downtown Jonesboro, Tennessee. Um, So if you want to learn more about us and what we do, you can check out McKinneyCenter.com. And we hope you'll join us for our next episode. And Thank you, Brittany and Michelle. Thank you. Thank Have you. Have a good one.
2: Bye, folks.
0: Yay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>